0: and welcome to the Dats What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Datt. I will be your host. Producer Kyle is off today being lazy. I have no idea what he is doing. But we are here in the Red Bull studios, and we have a special guest. Larry Berger, who is the senior NBA producer at USA Today, is here with 15 minutes of sleep because he just had a new baby boy. Congratulations, Larry, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Alexa, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So, Larry, since you do so much work with the NBA... And you've talked about the NBA and have done research and written about the NBA. I have to ask you since I was watching my Wizards Warriors game last night, I'm thinking that this could be the game where the Wizards finally beat the Warriors. There's a chance they're not going to make the playoffs. So this could be kind of their game, right, to finally beat the Warriors at home, at their home. And they couldn't get it done. But I but I need to know what's wrong with the Wizards. Do you have any idea? Do you have any insight? Because I don't know anyone else that does.
1: That, uh, Alexa, is a great question. I, I don't know exactly what's wrong with them, but I think you have to point to Bradley Beal. Um, he's been so injury-plagued. He's a great player when he plays. But since he... Entered the league, he's played fifty-six games, seventy-three games, sixty-three games, and this year forty-nine games. He's a great talent. He's a great complement to John Wall, and he just can't stay healthy. Right. So I think that's one of the key contributing factors. Um, Otherwise, they're a pretty talented team.
0: Yeah, I think that John Wall can get them going, but if he's not right offensively, there's a big problem. And the two of them together, you know, if they both aren't on on any given night it causes problems and that was one of the issues last night that you saw
1: and also you're playing the golden state warriors you can't forget about that steph curry is out of his mind red hot averaging 30 points a game this season and clay thompson and draymond green that that team is stacked i mean they're on pace for the for the record amount of wins and you know washington is the 10th uh, seeded team in the east and when you play the golden state warriors You know, you can't really expect miracles to happen.
0: I'm a huge NBA fan. I love watching the NBA, but I have to say, all of this controversy about people saying, or specifically one writer, saying that UConn is boring to watch, the UConn women's team is boring to watch... I don't know. I have to say that sometimes Golden State can be a little boring to watch, only because they're always winning. And yes, yeah, Steph Curry, when he has these flashes of these shots from outer space, are amazing, and it's it's um, it's crazy to watch him do what he's doing. But to watch a team just keep winning over and over again, what where's the you know the suspense? There's there's not much to it. Like when I watch a movie, even if I know what's going to happen at the end, I at least want some twists and turns. There's not much of that going on with Golden State.
1: I agree with that, but you are going for the record held by the Bulls. That's true from uh, from 1996, and you're right. There aren't too many other storylines. But to watch Steph Curry in action, what he does, I mean, not only hits threes from well behind the arc, but he can dunk. He had a great dunk yesterday, and. It's just it's a it's a beautiful it's beautiful when when you see a player of his magnitude does what he does I mean it's it's art and um you know th- that goal of beating the bulls or matching the bulls you know is is it the greatest storyline in the world It's pretty good mm-hmm. but um you know I think just the. Like not knowing what Steph Curry is going to do next, where is he going to hit his next three from? How is he going to dribble past past the defense? Is he going to go one on five and throw up a miraculous shot that that falls? It has my attention, but I can understand where you're coming from. That you know, winning and you know, winning every single game is uh, a little redundant after a while. I understand where you're coming from. It's a
0: little tough, although you know, I, it's amazing to be able to watch him. You know, you this is a once in a lifetime opportunity that you get to see players like him. I was rooting against him for the first time, you know, in a while watching him last night, which is also a unique perspective because I'm always usually rooting for him and watching the amazing things that he does. But because I'm a Wizards fan, obviously, rooting against him is weird, too, because he's like a baby face villain almost. It's bizarre. And you don't see any sort of viciousness to him, really. It's hard to root against him or see him as some sort of like an antithesis to any sort of good guy or superhero on your team. But you know, I, that's the position I had him in last night. So I was kind of trying to to get him, you know, to vilify him. It was very hard to do. He's a he's a very nice guy,
1: uh, Alexa. I could not agree with you more. It's it's virtually impossible to root against this guy. His daughter is so cute, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were talking about social media. You know, before the podcast began, and she is social media gold. Whenever she's she sings adorable. or dances, she's phenomenal. And and one other thing that stuck out uh, from last night's game was the post-game interview that Steph Curry did with Craig Sager. Yeah. Who was going through a very difficult battle and um, was given, I believe, um, up to six months to live. Yeah. And Steph Curry, you know, not only answered the basketball questions but made sure he passed along his well wishes to Craig Sager during that, you know, minute and 30 interview. And I think that just lends more credence to what you're saying about his likability. Yes, he's a great, great player, great team player – won a championship last year, but also he's a family man. um, He's a caring athlete and um, you can't root against him. I mean, I mean, it's just really, really hard to root against him. And, um, you know, he's definitely the, the, the face of the NBA right now, along with LeBron. Um, And, um, you know, whereas LeBron is a little bit more polarizing, I think Steph Curry, if you're a Warriors fan, you love him. And if you're a fan of other teams, you maybe not love him, but you really, really respect him for what he does on and off the court.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. He is definitely not as polarizing as LeBron. What do you think about LeBron recently, especially because he had all of these accusations that when he was sitting out in a game recently, he was almost seen as the assistant coach and, you know, a lot of people call him Coach James because a lot of the times he is seen as the guy who's leading the team on and off the court, uh, drawing up plays, figuring out exactly what's going on. And no matter who's in that head coaching role, it's almost as if they're not really even a coach.
1: It's a it's a very interesting storyline. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we all saw the video of him taking over the huddle and uh, Tyron Lewis is, is the head coach, um, you know, in the, in the roster, on the roster, he's the head coach. But um, as was the case or as was said was the case when David Blatt was the head coach, LeBron is really the man running the show. Yeah. And yesterday we saw not only is he behind the scenes, you know, um, you know, behind closed doors running the show, but for the whole world to see.
0: I mean, guys dressed as an assistant coach. I'm like, come on, buddy. You literally look, you're standing right next to your head coach. You look like you are the head coach and you're making no bones about the fact that you look like you want to take over hundred percent. I mean, it's not even hidden. There's no qualms that he is the guy that wants to be in that position.
1: Well, there must be so much pressure on him to win a championship. Right now, he's two and four in NBA Finals. Yeah. And he's playing in Cleveland. And he came back and the place went crazy. The whole city, the whole state went crazy. There is so much pressure on him to win. And whether he caused David Blatt to be fired or not, I'm not saying that there's panic um, with LeBron James, but I just feel that. There is so much pressure on him that he's going to do everything in his power, be it as a player on the court in uniform or um, coaching on the sidelines. He's going to do everything in his power to win. And and right now the team is 6-4 and four in their last 10 games. They have a two-and-a-half game lead on Toronto. Um, but the playoffs is a whole different story, and you really get measured on your championships. And they have to win. And um, I think it's just a case of LeBron doing everything in his power, or at least being perceived that he's doing everything in his power to win. And the Cavs right now are 52 and 22. Um, But you got to get hot at the right time. Like if if the Cavs are struggling now, like I said, they're six and four in their last 10, which is not terrible and it's not, not great. But the bottom line is you have to get hot at the right time. So whether they're hot now or cold right now, it doesn't really matter. Once the playoffs begin, and they face likely Detroit or Indiana in the first round that's when it's on right. and and I wouldn't I would not bet against LeBron getting to the finals
0: do you think that all of this business being made about Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving and LeBron not getting along and not being on the same page and not really functioning as a unit is really affecting them and is affecting LeBron and making him maybe regret his decision you know you saw him with Dwayne Wade recently and the conversation about how he would love to go back to playing in Miami potentially or going back to playing with Wade do you think there's any sort of regret there or any sort of you know man maybe I didn't make the ultimate you know right decision and I should have stayed put where I was
1: I mean, I think hindsight is twenty twenty. You can't rewrite history, yeah. um, whether he wants to or not. I think he's in a good situation in Cleveland. He does have Kyrie. He does have Kevin Love. Like you mentioned, it hasn't worked to perfection as of yet. I, I heard a stat that with the big three, they're not as effective with. Two of the three. Mm-hmm. So any two of those three are more effective than when they have all three playing together. But
0: that's a problem. That's a really big problem. You have a big three for a reason. And to have those, you know, two of the three function better than three of the three, I mean, that defies logic.
1: It, it really does. And it may have cost David Blatt his job. Right. Um. You know, there the, the, the three guys are very talented. I, I covered Kyrie Irving when he was in high school in New Jersey. I mean, he was he was off the charts. He's he's averaging around 19 points a game right now. He's um, you know playing really well. Um, Kevin Love, I don't know if he's really lived up to expectations coming off a tremendous career with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting, and that's what's so great about the NBA. There are so many great storylines, so many great storylines yeah. in the NBA, especially now. Um, you know, come the stretch run. Um, you know, Kobe has less than ten games to play. Is this the last season for Tim Duncan? Is it the last season for Kevin Garnett? Um, can the Spurs win another championship? <laughs> you know, with that aging roster. Um, I mean, oh, uh, Golden State can can they capture the record for most wins in a season? That's what makes the NBA so amazing. The storylines and 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 this year there are, there's no lack of storylines and and LeBron is at the top of the list.
0: So, in terms of the that Bulls team from 95-96, do you think this Warriors team is better than that Bulls team because there's been so much comparison made between the two? And I'm not old enough to really remember that Bulls team. I was probably in fifth grade, I think, because luckily for me, in order to remember where I was, it goes by the year. So in 1995, I was in fifth grade. 1996, I was in sixth grade. So I was like, the, I'm like the only generation where, or the only uh, year, that only class that that could happen to. So I'm kind of fortunate because, you know, years get kind of jumbled up for me. But so in 1995, I was in fifth grade. I mean, I remember Michael Jordan being amazing, I remember that team being awesome. What, to you, is the difference, though, between the two teams? Can you compare them?
1: Alexa, first of all, let me say I wish I was that age (laughs) in
0: 1995-96,
1: but I wasn't. Um, It's funny because if you look at the big three from the Bulls' 95-96 team and the big three with the Warriors this year, they're somewhat comparable. Um, I pulled the numbers. Steph Curry this year is averaging 30 points a game and shooting 45% from three-point range. Michael Jordan... Was averaging thirty point four points per game and shooting forty three percent from three point range. So that's they're pretty much neck and neck there. Yeah. Um, that, that's just talking about scoring though. There's so many other facets to the equation um, that I feel made made Jordan you know significantly better. But the um, the uh, the other players, Scottie Pippen, one of the fifty greatest players in NBA history, mm-hmm. and the third member of that uh, trio. A guy you probably know, Dennis Rodman, <laughs> averaged 15 points a game that season. So when you look at Curry, Clay Thompson, who's averaging twenty two and a half points a game, and, and Draymond Green, who really fills up the stat sheet yeah. in points, rebounds, and assists. You know, if if you know, gun to my head, I'm taking the Bulls. Uh-huh. I think the Bulls were a better team. But but it's not really in my opinion, there wasn't that much of a difference. I wouldn't give it to the Bulls by, by so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're they're comparable. And um, if I'm taking any player, I'm taking Michael Jordan. I want him on my team, you know, of any player in the history of the NBA. So if you're asking me, who do I want, the, the, the 96 Bulls or, or this year's Warriors, I'm taking the Bulls just because of Michael Jordan. And that's not to um, diminish the accomplishments of, of, of the big three in Golden State.
0: So – I know you've talked to Michael Jordan and you've sat down with him. You've worked for the NBA for many, many years uh, or you worked for the NBA for many, many years and you've had the chance to sit down with Jordan. When you're in a room with him and it's just the two of you sitting down, I know there are a lot of other people involved in the, the setup when you get them on camera, but when it's really just the two of you having a conversation, what kind of... You know, vibe does he put off? What kind of a guy is he that you can discern in terms of just your time with him?
1: Well, let me let me paint this scenario. Okay, I, I spent um, sixteen incredible years working for NBA Entertainment and the League Office for one year. Um, it, it was amazing experience after amazing experience, and I was twenty three at the time. And I'm walking through the halls of the office, and they passed me in the hall. Somebody passed me in the hall and said, hey, Lar, how'd you like to go to Chicago tomorrow, tomorrow to interview Michael Jordan? And I'm like, um, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I go there and I'm, cell phones weren't even popular at that time. And they gave me a cell phone because they wanted the updates on, on how it's going and the trip and the coordination factor. Like you said, it's, there's a lot of coordination that goes into it. Uh-huh. So I show up at their practice facility, a place called the Birdo Center. And it's media day. So there's, you know, 500 media members there. And I'm just excited to be in the practice facility with Michael Jordan. And I'm with a camera crew and the boom mic is in there. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. (laughs) And they're like, no, you're with the NBA. You get a one-on-one with him. So behind velvet ropes with all the other media on the other side of the ropes, listening to every word of the interview, they're they're like five deep with their tape recorders and their paper and pen. Mm Mm-hmm. I have this one-on-one with Michael Jordan, and you know I'm 23 at the time, and I was sitting about three feet away from him, two two chairs, one facing facing you know each facing each other, and I remember asking the questions and him replying to me, and it was almost like Charlie Brown's teacher. It was like wah 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 (laughs) wah wah. It was like an out of body experience Uh because you know I I, I've gone on since then to interview you know quite a few uh, you know amazing athletes. And, and, and I never felt in awe of anybody, you know, from that point on. But for Michael Jordan, it was surreal. It was like an out-of-body experience. And from, from what I remember, um, he was very personable, asked, you know, about myself before the interview. And then at the end of the interview, I was going to push my luck and ask him to do a tag for NBA action for him to read you know hi I'm Michael Jordan as if as if you, people didn't know you know uh, <laughs> hi I'm Michael Jordan and you're watching NBA action you know mm-hmm. which is like you know kind of like after you're doing an interview with Michael Jordan it's you know maybe frowned upon or a little amateurish I don't know I <laughs> asked him he did it first time he flubbed it and he laughed and second time he did it and um it was incredible and you know like I've said I've been doing this for 23 years and I've interviewed quite a few celebrities, athletes, presidents, and nothing, you know, nothing compares to to, to Michael Jordan. And I remember driving to Milwaukee uh, after the interview, mm-hmm. and um, I had a cell phone. I, I was all cool. I had a cell phone <laughs> at the time, and I remember calling my parents and all my friends, and it was um, – you know, hey, it's Larry. I just interviewed Michael Jordan. Got to go, and I, I hang up, and then call the next person. Hey, you're not going to believe who I just interviewed. Michael Jordan. Okay, got to go. Bam. And I'm just calling everybody, and it was it was surreal, and, and um, to this day, you know, definitely one of the highlights of my career and my life.
0: So when you interview people, you spend a lot of time thinking up questions, right? And a lot of times, when I do an interview, at least, I come up with a bunch of questions. And then I think to myself, wait, I'm going to actually be sitting across from this person. I created this list of questions with me just by myself sitting in a room. But now that I'm actually picturing sitting ne- myself next to this person, this list of questions is out the door. We're making a whole new list of questions. Was there anything from that interview that you remember asking that you either came up with before or that you asked on the spot or anything in your list that you, you know, that really sticks with you from that interview?
1: Well, fr- from what I remember, and this is... Got to be twenty, twenty-one years ago. Um, from what I remember, it was just plugging in sound bites. Uh, the purpose of it was to plug in sound bites from Michael Jordan for different features that we were um, planning to produce. Mm-hmm. I'd be lying to you if I remember anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anything at all from that interview. The only thing I really remember was um, just the magnitude of it mm-hmm. and, and being in the presence of somebody that I admired and worshipped for so long. But in terms of the content. <laughs> Alex, I wish I had a better story. I don't. I don't no, remember. I mean, it.
0: But just the fact that you, you know, like, like you explained, the Charlie Brown teacher, just that energy and not even remembering exactly what he was saying, but just being in the room with him and feeling that. I mean, that's pretty special. Not many people get that opportunity. That's pretty that's pretty amazing.
1: And and, and not only that, but I was very young in the business at that point. Mm-hmm. It gave me so much confidence, you know, that what I had to say was was important. You, you know, I just interviewed Michael Jordan. He's given me great responses. Right. You know, it gave me the confidence um you know to pursue this, you know, seriously as a career yeah. and realize that, you know what? What I have to say and what I produce, you know, it, maybe I have some talent here and, and and people can listen and can appreciate what I'm doing and and it definitely helped me. It was definitely a major contributor in helping me along the path.
0: What do you make of the story That Michael Jordan essentially, well, he did during his Hall of Fame speech, calls out his high school coach, saying, You made a big mistake. His high school coach, in the Sports Illustrated article at least, is not doing well mentally. He lives, you know, in squalor. He got in trouble with the law several times. He is mentally ill. And several people have called on Jordan to help his high school coach because his high school coach was so influential in his life. Yes, he was the guy that cut him from the varsity team, but he did so much more than just that. What do you make of those stories that end up, you know, pinning Jordan as a bad guy for not wanting to take care of somebody who took care of him in his past?
1: I think it's tough because, you know, Jordan has been maligned for not taking a stance on political issues and, you know, different other issues, social issues that are important in in this country and in the world. It's tough. You know, it's almost like, um, you know, telling somebody that they and and this is not really related to the Jordan um, story, but it's almost like telling somebody where they should provide um, their, you know, Charity funds to, or you know how they should spend their money and that sort of thing. Right. I think it's a very personal issue, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I remember Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, and I, I don't think it was his finest moment um, <laughs> that that speech. But um, you know, it, it, it's very tough to say. It's yeah. very tough to say he's been very successful. He's obviously made a lot of right decisions. He's made some wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, it's, it's very personal. I, I, I don't think we can dictate to anybody what they should do mm-hmm. and, and, and how they should act and where they should you know give their money.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I do think, though, personally, if I were to achieve the level of fame that Michael Jordan has, I would want to turn around and look behind me at all the different people who have helped me get there and do anything I possibly could to try and repay them because they are the only reasons that I am at that level. Yes, I would have some talent and skill if I'm Michael Jordan in this scenario, but you you can't get there without having so many people help you along the way. And you know, if this guy was instrumental in that, listen, it was a Sports Illustrated article. I don't know too much about it. You know, Like you were saying, it, it could be one of many different things and, and you can't really tell somebody especially how to spend their money um but i would just hope that if he was really influential jordan would want to do everything he could to to help him out so that michael jordan interview was really important and and a you know a strong moment in the beginning of your career where did you go from that in terms of interviews that also stuck out in your mind
1: um there were so many memorable experiences at the nba a couple of interviews that stuck out in my mind and it's funny were the players that didn't go to college stick out in my mind uh-huh. Ke- kevin garnett and kobe bryant stick out in my mind uh, i'll never forget um one of the one of my responsibilities at the nba was during all-star weekend i would sit in a conference room and the door would open and i would have you know a set up an interview set up the door would open and Shaq would come in or Dirk would come in or Garnett would come in or Kobe would come in.
0: By the way, Shaq is enormous. He is the largest human being I've ever seen. He is so big.
1: And and he's and he's a great guy, too. He's He's really funny. I remember, you know, getting off the topic for a second during one of those sit down interviews with Shaq, an alarm went off like a fire alarm or a police alarm. During the interview, uh-huh. and he's like, "I'm sorry, got to take this. I'm a deputy uh, police officer," <laughs> and he, and he seriously, he's a de- he was a deputy police oh, officer, and his alarm is going off during the interview, <laughs> and uh, but but that was that was memorable. But um, Kevin Garnett was um, he doesn't do too many interviews, mm-hmm. but he was awesome. I mean, just the he was so he's so intelligent and thoughtful and, and so deep in his comments. But heading into the interview. He comes in and he, he's, you know, sucking on a sucking candy. Mm-hmm. And my audio technician said, all right, you got to take that out. And he goes, I don't want to take it out. And, but like in a funny, fun way. Uh-huh. And, you, you, you know, the audio technician's like, no, you got to take it out. <laughs> yeah, what, what if I don't want to take you? See, you're asking me for an interview but all tongue in cheek, and he finally agreed with a big smile to take it out. But it was like a three minute argument about, you know, this sucking candy that he was enjoying <laughs> so much. But a great guy, a great interview. And then I remember interviewing um, Kobe Bryant in Cleveland at a hotel, and um, just his intelligence blew me away like the um, vocabulary that he was using and um, the way, you know, he was. Um, connecting with the subjects. And it, you, you could just see that this guy had so much to offer, not just as a basketball player, but as a student of the game and somebody who's really, really intelligent. Mm-hmm. Those were two memorable ones. And then um, I also helped spearhead the NBA's historical preservation project which entailed tracking down the oldest living players in NBA history. Wow. The, the NBA started as the BAA, the Basketball Association of America, mm-hmm. in um, 46, 1946. And my job, in addition to my other responsibilities, was to track down the oldest living players in NBA history. And I had carte blanche to travel the country and interview them on tape. So future generations and those a thousand years from now can hear firsthand accounts of the league's earliest days. Wow! And and, and that was a really fulfilling um, project that I was on. And some of these guys that I interviewed, it would bring tears to their eyes because they played, you know, forty, fifty years earlier, mm-hmm. and these were the most special times in their lives. And you know, me doing a little bit of research on the internet. A lot of research on the Internet and bringing up these memories um, was just something very special to me and to them as well. And and, and I'll never forget this, too. Um, I tracked down guys like Butch Van Bredikoff to a nursing home in Spokane, Washington. Um, He was a former Lakers coach back in the 70s and played in the NBA in the 40s and 50s. I found Kenny Saylors, who invented the jump shot. Um, and he played for the Cleveland Rebels and the Providence <laughs> Steamrollers back in the earliest days of the league. And uh, Red Klotz, I, I interviewed him at his home in Margate City, New Jersey. He formed the Washington Generals, the team that the Harlem Globetrotters beat, you know, thousands of times. <laughs> and um, it was funny, um, you know, I was talking to Red Klotz and he he was talking to me about how he wanted to be um, in the Hall of Fame. And I said, um, Mr. Klotz, you, you had a 5,000 game losing streak. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he was great, but it, but it was funny cause, um, doing all these great interviews with these, um, legends of yesteryear was, was so exciting and fulfilling. And I would tell my father about it and his response every time was, did you get Vince Barilla? <laughs> and, and I'm like, who? And, um, I did some research Vince Barilla started his career in 1949. He spent five years with the Knicks, averaged 11 points a game. You know, just a mediocre average career. Uh But this was my dad's favorite player. Okay. You know, my dad was like 11 or 12 at the time. So I finally tracked down Vince Barilla to Denver. And I went to his home and interviewed him. And he could not have been nicer. And again, we had like a, you know, 45 minute interview and I told him the story about, you know, I, I've i interviewed John Wooden and, you know, all these great names, but my dad, all he could t- kept talking about was you, Vince Barilla. <laughs> and he said, let me call your dad. So um, from his kitchen in Denver at his home, he called my dad and um, he said, Mr. Berger, I'm here with your son. And, you know, my dad it was like, is this, is this Vince Barilla? <laughs> and, and it was just really, really funny. And, um, you know, on, on a sad note, uh, Vince Barilla passed away this Sunday at the age of 89. Wow. But um, just, a, you know, a tremendous project and being able to meet these, you know, old timers and relive. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I love the history of the NBA. I love the history of sports and, and to meet these guys. And Kenny Saylors, who invented the jump shot after the interview, I brought him to a gym and he was uh, probably in his late 70s at the time. And I asked him to demonstrate for the camera, you know, the jump shot, the one that he invented. And here he is with these sweat pads, and he's like in his upper 70s shooting the jump shot in an empty gym for our camera. Priceless. Oh you know, absolutely goodness. priceless memories.
0: Because these guys played in a different era. I mean, even just technology, but society is totally different now was there anything like a common thread or that you know the guys said that kind of stuck out in your mind that they spoke about that just kind of opened your mind up to wow these guys you know have been through a lot more than a lot of these guys have to go through now
1: 100 percent, without a doubt and you touched on it with technology and today we're hearing the news about D'Angelo Russell and what's going on with him and the Lakers and um, you know what a tough situation that is but the, the, the common thread with those players who played in the 40s and the 50s was the camaraderie, was the playing for the love of the game, the long train rides. Um, you know, I, I know the older generation loves to say their generation, oh, back when I was a kid and all that. Right. But it really does make sense because they did play for the love of the game. Um, the salaries were not, you know, very high at all. Um, the travel was was tough. You know, it's not like, you know, today's travel where you hop on your private jet and you're, you know, you go from city to city. Um, I, I, I think like what I got from, you know, the hundred or so um, old timers that I got to interview was the shared passion for the game, mm-hmm. the really the nuts and bolts of the game, you know, not the show, but the game, the camaraderie, the, the the you know, the appreciation for your coach and your teammates. And um You know, that's pretty much it. And that's not to say that the players nowadays don't love the game. They definitely do love the game. But I I think the way they traveled and the lack of distractions like social media made for a different type of camaraderie.
0: Do you think guys nowadays who are playing basketball, do you think a lot of that camaraderie is lost because guys are more worried about building their own brand than they are about playing on a team and building up their relationship with their teammates instead of trying to actually you know they're doing that instead of of doing what they should be doing which is just focusing on playing basketball
1: i, I don't think so i mean i think it's you know this is a business mm-hmm. you know like yeah we everybody wants to win a championship or at least they say they want to win a championship um and that is important i'm not diminishing that or degrading that or questioning that but it's also a business you have x amount of years to make money for yourself to live on and your family to live on for the rest of your life. You know, the career is, the average career I think is, you know, I'm taking a guess here, five years. Mm-hmm. So you have five years of earning potential. So I don't think you, you have to do one and not the other. So I, I think it's important that you do do both, especially with social media now, another source of revenue that athletes, NBA athletes and, and other athletes are, are gaining another source of revenue is by advertising through their social media platforms. You know, for instance, LeBron has millions and millions and millions of followers. That's very attractive to a brand, you know, to advertise on his Twitter account. Um, So, um, you know, does that mean LeBron doesn't want to win a championship or doesn't want to be close to his teammates? I don't think so. I don't think it's mutually exclusive, but I think it's definitely a part of the game um, to worry about your brand and, and, and finances. And ideally, you have somebody that you can trust that can handle that. And you pretty much worry about, pretty much exclusively, worrying about your game. But I, I, when I talk to players and future players, future pros, you know, you never give full power of attorney, or you never just rely on somebody else to handle your business and your money. You always want to keep one eye on it. But I think you can do both. You know, be a great basketball player, be a great teammate and build your brand.
0: Well, because we're here in New York sports, one of the prime examples that I always use in this scenario is Carmelo Anthony. And I kill him on this podcast and I feel bad for it cuz I love the guy. I loved him in Denver. I haven't been a huge fan of him since he's come to the Knicks, but you know, people always criticized him for being a selfish player and for being a shoot first, ask questions later kind of a guy. But I loved watching that. I thought he was brilliant in Denver. And when he came to New York, he had a support system that I don't believe he has now. I don't believe he has the guys around him that he needs to win a championship. And I think it's going to take a long time in order for that to be built. But I do think that he has the ability to waive a no-trade clause and go be part of a team that could potentially contend for a title, and instead, he's worried more about his brand. He's worried more about how he's perceived in New York. He's worried more about his clothing line. He's worried about his wife and her reality show. To me, and I'm looking at it as an outsider, but to me, he seems to prioritize that more than actually winning a championship.
1: You could be hundred percent right. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with right, you no, one of bit. Course. Yeah. But 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 who's really to say, you know, what he should be doing? Right. You know, with his life and his career. Um, you know, there's two ways to look at it. You know, the hardcore Nick fan, he's really loyal, you know, or you <laughs> right. could look at it like uh, he's not chasing a championship. And and also to go along with what you're saying, there's something to be said for building your own team and winning a championship um, where you're you're the guy. So I'm not saying what he's doing is right or wrong, but I just think like and 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 your opinion on it is probably shared by most. Um, you know, why wouldn't he go to Cleveland to uh, to be the final piece to win, to win a title? Um, you know, it, 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 it's just tough to 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 tell him how he should be um, doing his career. I agree with you. If I was in that situation, I'd probably do the do the same thing. But. Um, He takes a lot of abuse here in New
0: York. He does. He really does. Absolutely. And I think that that's part of it, too. You know, he's miserable right now. He's not getting the teammates that he needs. He's not getting the wins that he needs. And he's got a lot of pressure on him. And a lot of people are turning to him to fix the situation where he doesn't really have too much control over that. The only really control he has over it is to leave. And I don't necessarily think that that is the answer, but, you know, with a lot of what he's been saying recently, which is that he's in this slump, this career slump. I I mean, to me, one of the main answers is go find a place where you can be happy basketball-wise and career-wise, and you love playing with those guys. Anytime I see you with any of those guys from Team USA... You feel I feel like you look like you're in your element. Go be with those guys. Go have fun. Listen, I would love to see a super team of Wade, LeBron, Chris Paul and Melo. And there those all those guys are basically in the twilights of their careers. There's no guarantee that they would win anything. But to me, it would just be fun to be able to watch them, mostly because I wouldn't have to watch a bunch of different teams in the NBA. I can click you know, on the TV and watch one game a night, and that'd be great, and I'd be able to see all my, my favorite players. But I think to be able to watch those guys play together for you know several seasons would be really fun rather than just during the Olympics.
1: And, and I think it would be interesting in terms of egos who yeah. who would take the last shot yeah. and also financially you know i mean i don't think it's a it's a possibility that these guys are going to all you know be on the same team and still be under the salary cap so somebody's going to have to take a major hit financially or the group will but you're right i, I would definitely watch and we talked about the warriors you know earlier in 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 this uh podcast about you know, they're boring, they, they, they win every game. That would really be boring to see that team with, with all those but guys. But I don't think
0: that they would win every game, though. I think it would be a lot of meshing between the different personalities, like you said, trying to fit all the egos together. I think that would be super interesting and wouldn't really work at first and figuring that out as a challenge. So I think that would be cool. Um, I think just having all of those guys figure out who's the leader on the team you know it, it would be just running the offense with all of those guys in the mix is is a lot to try and figure out and they're older they're not these young guys running around these young guns on the court anymore and you know figuring out who gets more playing time and who gets to sit out when they want to and all of that you know that that's a lot to work out and I don't know that it would gel right away and they would just be winning like the Golden State Warriors I think it would take a lot of time but I think it'd be fun to be able to watch them get to that point
1: but but you know what I think is interesting with with that thought is that when you look at at the US Olympic team, they don't take the what is it 15, the 15th best players in the league. They t- or the 15 best pl- best players in, you know, in the USA, what they do is um, they take the best players, but they also fill out the rosters, the roster with complementary players with role players, those that may not be the best but can really um, you know, add chemistry to the team. Yeah. And and you're right. You you talked about it. Would this team, would this amazing all-star team, would they have the chemistry? And I think that's a big question mark, and I don't think that can be you know, just pushed aside as a given. So I agree with you. I think it would be interesting. Do I think it's going to happen? No. No no chance. But it would be interesting.
0: Who is your Mount Rushmore right now of guys in the league? And I ask this question not based on who you think has the best stats and who are the best guys, but who do you enjoy watching the most? The four or five guys that you really—how many are on Mount Rushmore? Five, four?
1: Um, this well, is so embarrassing. Alexi, if you looked at my grades <laughs> in geography and history, um, you're asking the wrong person. I think it's four.
0: It's four. Okay, let's go with four. Who are your favorite four players to watch right now in the league?
1: Well, Carl Anthony Towns is number one. Okay. I, I've known him for him and his family for about four or five years and produced a documentary on him when he was a sophomore in high school. A great kid, a great player, and is... A highlight reel every single night. Um, what was it two days ago um, against uh, Phoenix? He had a crazy dunk on Mirza Teletovic. And two games before that, he hit threes and he has a hook shot in his repertoire. He, he's amazing. And he
0: won the skills competition this year, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, as that's a big correct. guy,
0: and that's tough to do. 100%.
1: Yeah. And right now, he's averaging um, a little over 18 points and a little over um, 10 rebounds per game and shooting 55% from the floor and 83% from the line. I love watching him play. You know, A, because I've, I've watched him since his freshman year of high school, but also because um, he's a great, great person. And and somebody, you know, I have a three-week-old son that that, that you referenced earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the kind of player, this is the kind of person that I want him to look up to. So Carl wow. Anthony Towns is definitely on that, on that Mount Rushmore. Um, the other three... Um, you're really putting me on the spot here, Alexa. <laughs> um, Steph what? Steph Curry. I was gonna
0: say, would Steph Curry be on yeah, there? Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess you have to. Okay, you know, I mean, he's just he's just so so special and so so entertaining. Um, Russell Westbrook yeah. would, would be on that uh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, he is awesome. Awesome. And and I know we were talking about the um, Warriors before, and you know their you know quest to win another championship. I think the dark horse is the Oklahoma City Thunder. I agree. And, and and Westbrook is a you talk about highlights. I mean, this guy has he has 16 triple doubles this year and is playing the best basketball of his career and should get maybe one or two MVP votes. Um, you know, Curry's obviously going to win it. Yeah. But but Westbrook, um, in terms of his production and uh, excitement, uh, he's he's unparalleled in my opinion. So there's three. Okay. Towns, Curry, and Westbrook, and. Um, Uh, if I had to pick a fourth, um, Carmelo, you know, I, I just enjoy watching him play and,
0: uh, you You enjoy watching him miss a dunk after missing a dunk, after missing a dunk. (laughs) He's really struggling this season. I feel really bad for him. But, but the thing is, is like, like
1: the NBA as a whole, there are so many storylines with with Carmelo Anthony. So, you know, is he, you know, at the top of his game right now no i mean he's a little past his prime but he's fun to watch and he's fun to and it's and it's fun to watch the reaction from the fans and the media and the coaching staff and his teammates to Car- to carmelo anthony he's a lightning rod yeah you know and he's playing in new york on a team that's you know underachieving so he he's he's can't miss he's can't miss television in my opinion yeah who, who would be your four by the way
0: Wow! Now you're putting me on the spot. Um, well, I'm a huge Wizards fan, so John Wall is always entertaining for me. I've been, you know, watching him since he was in college, and he, you know, just because I'm a Wizards fan, but also because I think he is phenomenal at uh, at the sport. I would also put Kobe Bryant on that Mount Rushmore. I feel like because it's his last season, I, I was able to see him up in Boston his last game at TD Garden and just the energy he's bringing right now. Listen, he doesn't play every night. He doesn't bring it every night because he doesn't have it anymore every night. But when he is on the court and he's lighting it up, to me, there's nobody better to watch right now. I'll take Kobe Bryant over Steph Curry right now only because it's his last season and I'll never get to see this again. So if I had to choose, I would, although Steph Curry would be on my Mount Rushmore uh, as well. And then I love the Westbrook pick; I think that's a really good one. But I am going to go with Durant, just because being able to see a guy that tall and that lanky come back from a foot injury, a broken foot, I think is pretty remarkable, and still be able being able to be dominant in the NBA to me is a is pretty awesome. Plus, he's just a, an amazing guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit through uh, through his agent and through my husband. He's he's a fantastic guy, so he's really fun for for me to watch. So, did you go to journalism school? I want because I want to talk to you a little bit about your interviewing skills and how you developed them over time and, you know, how you tweaked them and got better. Mm -hmm. So you went to journalism school or or you did not?
1: No, I I went to the University of Albany. Okay. And I majored in English and minored in journalism. And and the way I got into this profession was um, I saw an ad for the college radio station, WCDB, in Albany, and um, signed up and was a sportscaster and then really pushed the envelope by requesting and getting... Press credentials to cover the Nets and the Baseball Hall of Fame inductions and the Islanders and the Devils. Wow! My, my, my 1984 Toyota Tercel had plenty of miles on it <laughs> as I would, you know, commute um, from Long Island to Albany. You know, just for the opportunity to interview the athletes, professional athletes. And I'll never forget um, Pat Lafontaine, who was a superstar with the Islanders at the time mm-hmm. and is now a Hockey Hall of Famer. I was a freshman, and I wrote out all of my questions on a piece of paper you know, including, you know, the ad libs and, uh, you know, I was reading from the paper. So, Mr. LaFontaine, you scored 73 goals and, and uh, 123 assists. Pretty impressive. Eye, <laughs> eye contact. I mean, and, and then I'd look up and in the middle of the interview, you know, a journalist from a major outlet came over to, um, to us as I'm interviewing him and asked LaFontaine a question about that night's game. And Pat Lafontaine said, Excuse me, sir, I'm interviewing with this gentleman right now. Wow and I'll be happy to answer your questions afterwards. Burn. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow, this is this is pretty impressive. And um you know, it really again like same thing with the Michael Jordan story it gave me the confidence that you know, hey, you know what, what I have to say is important, and I'm a member of the media. You know, <laughs> although I'm right. you know 18 years old and and working for WCDB. So, um, getting back to your original question, I, I was the sports director on my college radio station. Okay, and during my tenure in college, I interned at uh, WWOR TV Channel 9 and MSG Network. So, I never went to college for journalism or broadcast journalism. But I did a lot of different things during my four years there that uh, that paved the way.
0: What would your eighteen-year-old self from college say about where you've gotten to at this point in your career?
1: Um, I, I've I've had a lot of great experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't pick another profession by any by any stretch. It's it's a tough profession to be in and to mm-hmm. stay in and to climb the ladder. And there's X amount of jobs. And at some point, um, you know, it was really tough for me to get a job in um, on April 5th, 1993. I still remember the day when I got my um, job at the NBA. Mm -hmm. It was really tough at that point. Um, But at some point after that, everybody started to realize interviewing your favorite athlete, getting paid, staying at great hotels, eating at great restaurants. It's fun. Yeah. You know, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. And, and it became ultra – and it was competitive in 93 when I started. Yeah. But then it, it went to a new level. So um, what I would say to myself um, when I was 18 about what I've done is I'm happy with the things I've accomplished. Um, but, you know, borrowing a line from, from Pat Croce, who I interviewed, the former owner of the Sixers – My rearview mirror is small, but my windshield is huge. Uh So I I look back, um, you know, every so often, but I I, I try to look ahead as well. And that's the important thing, I think.
0: So I remember in journalism school back in the day, they were telling us that TV isn't as glamorous as you think it is. You're not going to get paid well. You're going to work on holidays. There are going to be a lot of things that aren't going to be fun about what you do. But if you're really passionate about this, you should go do this. Is there anything that you wish you would have known getting into this business that you, you know, maybe not would have changed or deterred you from doing this, but maybe would have given you a little bit more arsenal in your tool belt to be like, you know, I can I can take this on because you knew that going in?
1: 100%. And, and I don't know if I would say it to myself, but I, I say it to other people mm-hmm. is back up what you're trying to do with a degree in, in business or law. I think it's extremely important, A, to have a plan B. If you don't make it because mm-hmm. it's ultra competitive, yeah. but even if you do make it, if you have a if you have a degree in business and law, you can really push yourself to higher and higher, um, you know, to 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 great lengths. You you can um, really elevate your status, elevate your career. Me personally, I'm not built that way. I, I don't have any. I was gonna acumen. say, should I
0: be applying to business school and law school right now? Because I would not survive. <laughs>
1: I, I, I do think it's important. Oh, yeah. I really do. And, and well, you're not
0: getting that out of me. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> same here. Same here. But I, you know, in addition to that, is um, what I recommend is you know having a plan B. Yeah. It's really really important. There's X amount of jobs and X times a hundred um, candidates for for X amount of jobs. It's tough, but if you're in it. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's re- you know, i um, you just came back from spring training with the Mets and yeah. you get to interview the Mets and be around, you know, one of the top teams in Major League Baseball right now. You get it. I right. mean, you you understand it. Yep. it. It it is amazing. And 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 people asked me when I first started, you know, is it as fun as you'd imagine? As we would imagine? Is it as fun and glamorous as as you'd imagine? Waiting for me to say no. And I said, yeah, it is. Right. It, it's amazing. Right. You know, and I tell my Michael Jordan story and I have like a million other stories. Yeah, it's great. Um, if you have that passion, if you have that desire, if you have the love of not only the game, but love of journalism and, you know, broadcast journalism or whatever um, genre you want, I say go for it. But but definitely, um, you know. Have, have a, a safety net, have a plan B.
0: Well, my plan B is to go teach yoga on the beach in Hawaii. So I don't know if that's a feasible plan B, but that's currently my plan B. Uh, maybe Sounds I'll good. get around to that at some point. <laughs> I'm just not studious, studious enough for law school. My dad went to law school and he's a lawyer. And the work that I've seen him go through th- throughout his life, I there's no way I would be able to handle that. I just, I'm just i just not built for it. And watching him take you know bar exam after bar exam for the different states. Uh, no way. Come on. I'm out.
1: But 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 you know what your dad not knowing him he's probably passionate about it oh for sure and 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 the key is yeah. is like I, I agree with you one hundred and ten percent you know I'm not passionate about it either what I'm passionate about is doing what I do right. I love what I do yeah on my free time I do what I do for my you know on my free time I go to basketball games right you know I mean that that's what I do or or baseball games or whatever so I think that's when you know you're in the right profession yeah um you know when when you do what you do. For a job, you do that in your on, on your off time as well. So yeah, I was um, talking
0: to somebody recently about being in the business, and they said, "Well, we want to ask you what you do in your spare time." And I said, "I go to sporting events in my spare time. I watch sports documentaries in my spare time." And they're like, "Well, what else do you do?" I'm like, "That's it. Like, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I like to take photos. I like, I didn't really have an answer because that's. I was like, I like to scrapbook. I don't know. Like, I don't really have an answer besides going to sporting events." My husband and I always joke about it. He's like, if I could get you a piece of really expensive jewelry or I could take you to a sporting event, you'll take sporting event every single time. You'll throw the jewelry out. I mean, you'll go pawn it and go get tickets to a game because that's just what you're passionate about. And I said, yeah. And and even if I wasn't in this business, first of all, I would try and find some way to weasel my way in. But. It's something that I've been passionate about for a really long time, and I'm passionate about it even when I'm not working. And I think that is such a huge part of it.
1: I agree with you 100 percent. The only thing that I would add is um, sometimes and, you know, I've I've taught at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and a couple of other places that I mentor. The the passion for the sport on a job interview, if you're talking to um, a hiring manager, you know, having the passion for, for sports is important. But you may sometimes need to internalize it. It's more important to be passionate about, you know, being a sales. If you're trying to be, get a, a sales job in sports mm-hmm. or um, a broadcasting or journalism job in sports, it's it, sometimes it's more important, you know, to exude the passion for not sports, but but what you'd exactly be doing, you know, be it. Journalism or accounting or sales or, or whatever it is when in your heart, you know, you love sports and you're in this because it's it's part of the sports business. So I agree with you, but sometimes you need to um, dial it back and accentuate, you know, the actual role that you're going to be doing um you know, and it just happens to be in the sports industry.
0: So, is the fact that I called myself a journalism nerd to the person that was interviewing me is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a great thing, okay, good. because you're talking about journalism. Yeah. You're not talking
1: about <laughs> sports journalism.
0: Yeah, I, I have uh, I have talked to a couple interns who. You know, can rattle me off all of the stats from, you know, every single Knicks team. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about your journalism skills for a second. And they're like, well, I love to blog. I'm like, well, okay, let's let's go further into that. Let's, you know, you're right. It is, uh, it is more about the journalism aspect to it, because that's what people really want to see as your foundation. And then, you know, you knowing sports is, is great. And that's, you know, a huge part of it too. But the journalism is really what they want to see first. Let's go back to Carl Anthony Towns for a second. And you guys have had a pretty interesting relationship. Where where did this bond first form, and how did you start to get to know him?
1: Sure, um, I was working for MSG Varsity at the time, which is a network devoted to high school sports, and I had heard about this kid who played for St. Joe's Matuchin in New Jersey. A tall kid, and you know he 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 was skilled. I didn't know how skilled, so I showed up and I I went to do a feature on him. And I remember I did the the initial meet and the additional the initial interview was in the weight room. And I threw him a softball you know, because he's a 15-year-old kid. I didn't know where he was at in terms of interviewing. I didn't want to be nervous or whatever. So I threw him a softball. First question, um, who's your favorite player? Who do you model your game after? A very easy one. And he started talking about Len Bias wow. who died – you know, went to the University of Maryland, yeah, I'm like very you, familiar. Yeah, and and he died, I think it was 10 years before Carl was even born. Yeah. And he's talking about uh, Len Bias's, um, you know, he's a big man, but he could shoot from the outside and he was a great passer and this and that and the other thing. And I said to myself, wow, you know, this kid is special. And, you know, as I kept asking him questions, um, it just answer after answer. I'm like, wow, this kid, he really gets it. And um and then I saw him play on the basketball court and he was a seven footer who was a jump shooter. You know, he most of his points were from the outside. And it, it you know, I, I asked him about that and it was mainly because um the referees would call a lot of fouls because quote, you're so much bigger than your opponents. But Is he
0: you, true seven feet?
1: With seven yes, footer? yeah. Yes. In mm-hmm. in high school he was um six ten, six eleven. Um, but, but that impressed me, you know, his ability to handle the ball, his ability to shoot from the outside. And one thing I'll tell you from, um, watching him play his freshman year and his sophomore year in high school, one thing that we haven't seen from Carl is his passing ability. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, when he was 15, I, I, I ticketed him for being the best passing big man in the history of the nba
0: wow I, 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 you know wow. I, I, and that's
1: a bold bold prediction yeah um but um his passing ability i must have seen it you know a dozen times where he would grab the defensive rebound and throw a length of the court chess pass to a driving you know to a streaking player going in for for a layup mm-hmm. his outlet passes lefty passes righty passes bounce passes chest passes no look passes his passing ability was incredible and right now, we've seen his game where he can dominate in the paint. He has a hook shot. He can shoot threes. He can block shots. He has so many different skills. In my opinion, what NBA fans are going to see probably next year is the evolution of a big man—a uh, a, a big man who can pass like no one else we've ever seen. Wow! So that was my first um, meeting meeting him. Uh, first times meeting him was was that. And just what a great person he was. He was the president of his class. Um, he always used to sit with the not popular kids at lunch to make sure that they they felt, you know, good and um you know, welcome and they were comfortable at lunch.
0: By the way, just that alone is super important and special because you have to be so comfortable with who you are and be raised to be comfortable with who you are to then be able to go make other people feel special. And especially in high school, where nobody feels special, that's a very tough task. He, he was. I mean, yeah. it, it's somebody I've, I've I had never
1: seen anything like it before. One day, his teacher was absent. And instead of getting a substitute teacher, they asked Carl to, to teach the class. No, they
0: didn't. I, it was,
1: it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, this kid was just um, amazing from the get-go. And, um, you know, I also brought him to um, a Sixers game to interview Kevin Durant when he was a um, sophomore in high school, either freshman or sophomore. And, you know, he was our student reporter for MSG Varsity. Uh-huh. And he knocked it out of the park and I remember leaving the locker room and the Oklahoma City Thunder players were saying to me, um, you know, what college does he play at? And I said, he's a freshman in high school. <laughs> and um, just the way he carried himself was, uh, was pure class. And then he got um, uh, into um, giving back to uh, children with autism and got to visit Reed Academy in Oakland, New Jersey, and developed a tremendous bond with them. And he would own the room you know, at the age of 15 and 16, owned the room with this group of special needs kids. And was, you know, I I vividly remember him sitting on a basketball, reading a picture book to the kindergartners and holding up the book so everybody could see the pictures. I mean, this kid is special. He was special, is special. And um, I don't have a crystal ball, but I could see him being the face of the NBA for years to come.
0: Where does this all come from? I know you've got to know his parents. Is he... Doing this all on his own, or is this his upbringing?
1: He'll be the first to tell you it's his parents. Okay. He has two great parents. Going to their house, it's like a comedy show. You walk in, and the mother and the father are telling jokes, and there's just so much love in that household for him, for each other, for the parents, and the sister. Um, he, he had a great place to grow up. Um, parents didn't have a lot of money. They worked very, very hard you know, to provide for for little Carl, as his mother calls him. And I would say little Carl, little Carl, seven feet tall. But um, there was always a lot of love in that room. And, um, you know, to this day, um, Carl will say his best friends are, are his are his parents.
0: Wow, what a nerd. Just kidding. That's really sweet. <laughs> that is really, really sweet. Um, and it's amazing how, you know, God, and players can turn out so many different ways, no matter their upbringing. It obviously always helps to have incredible parents. And, you know, being able to credit them with how you've turned out is also really cool and really special. What what personally do you know about him and what have you gathered from him that, you know, in terms of his likes, dislikes, you know, what he's like as a player? Well, you know, I mean, what is he like as a guy off the court?
1: Um. Off the court, um, he's kind of boring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good. Stay that way. very, very get positive any way. Yeah.
1: He's, he, he's just... He loves basketball. Good. You know, just like what we're talking about. We love sports and yeah. we do it for, for a living. He loves basketball. He's had such a unique background. Like, at the age of 16, he played for the Dominican national team against wow. Team USA in Las Vegas and hit a three-pointer over Anthony Davis on ESPN. And <laughs> after the game... Um, he uh, went and got autographs and pictures of his opponents. So, you know, here, you know, he, it, it was, it, it, I think that story really tells the story of Carl Anthony Towns. So he could do amazing things. He could play at the age of 16 for the Dominican national team. And then after the game, just like any other 16 year old, collect autographs from LeBron and, and Carmelo and Kobe and pictures. Um, that's who he is.
0: Larry, thank you so much for being here with us today. We end every podcast with an embarrassing or funny story, and I'm going to put you on the spot because we put all of our guests on the spot. Do you have anything in your career or personal life, any sort of funny or embarrassing story you can share with us?
1: I, I don't know if I can narrow it down to, to one. I probably have about a hundred. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the most recent one. Um I don't know how it's more funny than embarrassing. Okay. But uh we did a professional photo shoot with my newborn son. He's uh-huh. 3 weeks old and the um photographer is an artist and you know she um didn't want any pictures with him with the diaper on. Okay. <laughs> which is a recipe for disaster. Right. So I had my my beautiful shirt on. I wore it once beforehand and uh all of her props were out and that was the time he decided that he needed to to urinate. <laughs> and um it went over everything. And um that was that was a funny, you know, semi funny story. Um the other another funny story was um getting into a spaghetti fight in high school and getting suspended and having my parents come in and uh getting that changed to um a week of detention as oh opposed to a suspension. God. Um I almost caused a riot in, <laughs> in the cafeteria.
0: How'd you get into a spaghetti fight?
1: It's 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 a crazy story. So there was a kid who uh, it was a Wednesday you know okay. which is of course Spaghetti day of course. and you know I highly anticipated it in in my household Wednesdays uh-huh um, so um, they had the um, you know silver bowls of spaghetti and this kid you know had spaghetti on a spoon and used it as a slingshot and decided like I didn't even know this kid and he and he like you know slings it on me so <laughs> I get up you know, I'm five, six now. I was probably five, six then as well. And I get up and I walk over to him and on the way there, I'm saying to myself, okay, eventually I'm going to get there. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do when I get there, (laughs) but I got to go there. So it just so happened somebody handed me a full plate of spaghetti on route to this, you know, confronting this, this bully. And so I had the spaghetti, the whole cafeteria is going crazy at this point. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do next, but I have a plate of spaghetti and I end up dumping it on his head.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: um, he he chases after me and the whole cafeteria is going crazy (laughs) and he landed on me. And next thing I know, um, there's a riot and somebody gave him a black eye. (laughs) <laughs> and, and of course, I'm the scape, scapegoat. I get the, the, uh, the suspension. And I like
0: pa- how you say somebody is. If you don't really know who, you're not sure <laughs> if it was you or not. It could have been, but you're not really 100% sure. Somebody gave him a black eye. What,
1: what is the statute of limitations <laughs> on, right. on spaghetti exactly. fights?
0: That's
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, that was half of the most embarrassing, uh, you know, half of the um, embarrassing part of the story. The other half was, you know, my mom coming in and thinking... That this suspension is not going to get me into college and Albany's Albany's going to decide not to take me and uh, my life will be ruined. and
0: The domino effect yeah, from the spaghetti yeah, fight. Yeah, it's a yeah. spaghetti fight. Let's be real here.
1: <laughs> and um, that was the only fight I've ever been in in my life. So um, that was memorable and embarrassing and funny all well, wrapped up into one.
0: at least you can say that you won the only fight that you were ever in, right? I mean, that's kind of fair to say. Even though you got detention, you still won. So it's kind of a win-win. <laughs> yeah,
1: I i'm I'm not proud of it I'm, I'm, i'm not proud of the whole situation but uh you know i felt like i needed to do what i did and i did what i did and the rest is history
0: all right well larry thank you so much for being here today we are at the beautiful red bull studios if you want to check them out online they are at rb studios ny sheldon our audio engineer who is always super helpful thank you sheldon and let's go get a snack